you could do eight or nine good deals. And if you have one deal that goes bad, that can tank you and leave unbelievable damage to you, your credit, and your future ability to transact. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with $1 million to $100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And first off, hope you're having a best ever weekend. It is Sunday. Because it's Sunday, we've got a special segment for you called Skill Set Sunday. You knew that was coming, right? Because you're a loyal listener and that's what we do on most Sundays. With us today, we've got a guest who has made over 10,000 loans in excess of a billion dollars, has also purchased a lot of properties. He's the president and founder of Guilt Financial Corporation, and he's going to talk about some lessons he's learned along the way that will help you build your real estate portfolio the right way. With us today, Jack Miller. How you doing, Jack? Excellent, Joe. How are you? I'm doing excellent as well. Thanks for asking. So let's get right into it. What are the first lesson we should talk about that you've learned based off of your experience that you see real estate investors do or shouldn't do or should do more of? 
so the first lesson is you don't have to do that many good deals to make a fantastic living and to really become wealthy. But a lot of people want to do all the deals. So we see a lot, uh, both as lenders and as buyers, you really need to be selective with the deals. So my first lesson is don't do a lot of deals, but focus on good deals. That can ring true with some people who have fear of missing out. Because I've heard similar advice, but the exact opposite, where it's don't wait for the perfect deal. Just get in there and do a deal. Take action. What would you say to that? I would say whoever gives that advice isn't there when things fall apart. The reality is there's a lot of people talking about how much money they make in real estate when things go good. But there's a lot of deals that don't go good and they end in total disaster. It's sort of like people walking out of the casino. You always hear about the winners, but you don't hear about the losers. So my biggest advice to people would be learn to say no. Say no more often than you say yes. I would say that approach this with precision and absolutely don't do deals that you don't think are perfectly aligned because if it goes bad, you could do eight or nine good deals. And if you have one deal that goes bad, that can tank you and leave unbelievable damage to you, your credit, and your future ability to transact. What's the next lesson? I would say don't fall in love with the deal. A lot of people fall in love with the deal. They fall in love with doing deals and they put good logic to the side. You need to approach it from a business point of view. The deal is not going to love you, so don't love the deal. So approach it very analytical with your comparables. Be conservative. You see people and they're too optimistic with their estimate on repairs. They're too optimistic on their hold time. They're too optimistic on what they're going to sell it for. I would say approach it from a pessimistic point of view. And if it works as a pessimistic point of view, the deal will surely work. Again, I don't want you to think I'm a pessimist. I'm the ultimate optimist. But if everything works and you're conservative, it'll surely work when you're optimistic. Don't love the deal because the deal won't love you. <laughs> I love that. There's no love back. There's, There's no, no love back. No reciprocity at all. No reciprocity. The deal will suck up your money and destroy <laughs> you and cause you sleepless nights like you wouldn't believe. What's the next lesson? More people and companies die from indigestion than starvation. So what we see a lot is somebody will do one or two or three deals. They'll make a good amount of money. And then instead of doing one or two or three at a time, all of a sudden they're doing five deals at once. And that's the wrong approach. I would say take it slow, do one deal, get it done, do another. Again, more people and more companies die of indigestion by growing too fast than of starvation. So I imagine you see that a lot from the lending standpoint. Over, yes. Over, so tell us an example or two with as specific as you can get or remember about that. Over the past 30 years, I've really had the privilege to work with some much more talented people than me. And I've seen time and time again where you have tremendous talent, tremendous well-intent, and tremendous knowledge and they overexpand. They'll do one deal, they'll do two deals, and they think they're the best thing since sliced bread. And all of a sudden, they have four properties under agreement of sale. And inevitably, something happens that will tank them. It could be something like the coronavirus, it could be an economic meltdown, or it could be just the deals. You can't do too many things at once. It's just hard. It takes time to build up that infrastructure. What's the next lesson? 
a deal of a lifetime comes about every day. I hear all the time, oh, this is the best deal in the world. This is the deal of the lifetime. I literally hear that just about every day from somebody. The reality is if you're in there, you're going to always find a good deal. And they're all sort of interrelated because people think, oh, this is such a great deal. I can't say no. They fall in love with the idea of it. So with that comes the same thing as people are overexpanding. In order to do a deal, the deal has to be perfect, but your timing has to be perfect too. You have to have the mental focus to be able to do the deal, the financial wherewithal to be able to do the deal if something goes wrong. So again, don't fall into that. This is a deal of a lifetime because if you're out there looking, they will come all the time. If you're home sitting on your sofa playing video games, they're not going to come all the time. But if you're out there in the mix, they'll be in there with you. The first four lessons all relate to slowing down, be conservative about how you're running the numbers, and make sure that you are not growing too fast. That seems like a consistent theme. Yeah, it is because that's how I see people blow up. They want to do so much because it's so exciting and so energetic. It's like a drug. But I see they need to slow down. They need to be more conservative. And those are really the same philosophies, by the way, that if you would read a, a book about Warren Buffett or listen to him, he basically says the same thing. He says, learn to say no. If you say no more, you'll be better off. Because I've seen and I see all the time but you have tremendously talented people will explode and implode because they're doing too much or they've made a wrong decision. What's the next lesson? Uh, the devil's in the details. We see all the time where people, especially now with the internet, where you can be in one poor part of the country and see a property virtually in another part of the country. You could be in Texas and buy something in Des Moines, Iowa. And if you depend on other people to do the due diligence, usually something goes wrong. So my next one is the devil is in the details. You need to understand the deal from every aspect. If the property needs work, how much work does it need? Don't just take the realtor's word that, oh, he got you a contract or how did you hear? He says, oh, the realtor got me a contract or to do it or check in with the township. Make sure that you don't need permits or you do need permits. Factor it in. A common mistake is when people buy properties in some cities, the real estate taxes are reassessed based on a sale. So mm -hmm. a sale triggers it. So I see all the time, the taxes are based on, let's say a hundred thousand dollar value and someone's buying something for 300,000, but they're underwriting the deals based on the hundred thousand dollars taxes. They don't realize that as soon as that deed's recorded, the city's going to triple the taxes. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to do your due diligence, know every aspect of the deal, Again, from the buy, from the due diligence, from the contracting, from a zoning perspective, from a potential tenant perspective, read all the ordinances, read the leases. I see all the time where in a lease, a lot of times in commercial property, a prospective borrower, all they'll read is the dollar amount the tenant's paying and the lease term, but they don't realize there's co-tenancy clauses in there or other clauses that the tenant can leave for different reasons. So again, it comes to the devil is always in the details. That's and critical. You have to know these deals inside and out and don't depend on somebody else. It's very easy to depend on someone else to do the due diligence, but you can almost bet that whoever you're depending on is going to be long gone 
when the, <laughs> the poo-poo hits the fan. <laughs> uh, co-tenancy clause, for anyone who's not familiar with it, will you elaborate on why that could be an issue? So co-tenancy is common in commercial real estate. It's very common in retail. So what a co-tenancy means is, let's say you have a shopping center and you have a major supermarket in there and you have five or six other little stores who aren't anchors. Those stores may come in and say, hey, we'll be a tenant as long as that supermarket's there. But if that supermarket leaves, we could leave too. So a co-tenancy clause has to do with the tenancy of somebody else's. And you see that a lot, especially now with Corona, with big stores going out of business, you have not only the big stores go out of business, if you have a co-tenancy in your lease, you could see the smaller stores leave or pay reduced rents. So you need to understand co-tenancy and you need to understand if it's in your leases. Oh, absolutely. That could torpedo a deal quickly and that could also bring in novice investors to buy a property who they think they're getting a good discount, but in reality, they're not getting a discount at all because there's no income that's going to be happening in about three months after they buy it because all the tenants are going to leave. People think I'm crazy, but I actually love reading leases and they're boring as could be. But you know what? I find it fascinating. And I tell buyers that you need to understand every clause in a lease because there's a lot of times good clauses too that you don't understand. And it's that way with every part of the deal. You have to really understand the deal. And again, don't depend on somebody else to have your best interests at heart because usually they don't. They have their best interests at heart. Lesson number six. Lesson number six really comes down to, I call it the three main parts of the deal. If you think about every deal, I divide it into three parts. It's the purchase and maybe the fix up if it's a fix up. It's the management and it's the sale of it. And you have to really be an expert at all three parts. Again, if it's not a fix up, it's the purchase and the leasing and the management and the sale. But we've seen so many people over the years who are really experts at one or two, but they're not good at the third one. And the whole thing blows apart. Years ago, and I'm going back 20 years, there was one of the best buyers I've ever seen in the real estate business in Philadelphia. I'm going to call him Joe. That's not his name. Hey. He must have owned 100 or 200 properties all in a prime section, and he bought them all 30, 40 cents on the dollar. He was literally one of the best negotiators, and this guy could sniff out deals. Unbelievable. We had provided him financing because every deal he bought was really a great deal. What I quickly learned was that this guy was a lousy manager. He couldn't manage the properties. He couldn't deal with the tenants and the repairs. And he unfortunately had, I'm guessing, 150, 200 properties, maybe 100 properties, all beautiful properties. He ultimately lost them all and got out of the business because he wasn't good at the middle part, the managing and dealing with the tenants part. And he wasn't good at selling them because he could never sell them because he always thought it was worth five times what the market would bring. So he was one of the most masterful buyers of properties I ever saw, but he really wasn't good at the other two things. And ultimately that was his downfall. So what I call the three main parts of the deal, we all can't be good at different things. I'm lousy at a lot of things, but you have to know what you're good and what you're lousy at or not as good. And outsource that. Find a good property manager or find a partner who's good at the things you're bad at. We've got time for one more. What's one more 
lesson that you've learned? Think long-term. Encompasses that is the power of compounding. When we do a deal, we think on a 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 year horizon. A lot of people are thinking six months and a year. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think people who want to get rich quick, they tend to implode pretty quick. I have a sign on my door that says, get rich slow. What about the business models where it's a value-add deal and you're looking to exit out after five years? Nothing wrong with that. We're in the middle of doing a deal now as a buyer. We think we're going to exit out within six to nine months. But sometimes you can't. And you have to be prepared for a long haul. Corona is a perfect example of it. Nobody could have predicted it before it happened. On that six to nine month projected exit, what specifically do you do or how do you approach thinking long term since you're projecting that short of an exit? A few things. One, we stress test it. Instead of selling it, if we rent it out, how's that going to look and can we rent it out? Mm -hmm. Is our financing or our capital stack prepared for a long-term hold as opposed to a short-term hold? Do we have the cash to be able to hold it if it doesn't sell right away? So I think it's just looking at the deal from a 360 degree and saying, okay, if I can't sell it for what I want to sell it or what I need to sell it at, am I okay holding it? Very, very helpful. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you and your team are doing, Jack? You can go to geltfinancial.com. That's the easiest way. We have a YouTube channel on Gelt Financial. And just check us out on social media. We ended with seven lessons that you've learned from your experience, and I'm grateful that you shared them. Certainly, be conservative. Continue to be methodical about the acquisition process and make sure that you have experts on your team to address each of the areas of a deal throughout its life cycle, the acquisition, the management, the sale process of it, and to stress test deals to make sure that even if you are projecting a, in your case, a six to nine month exit or a five year exit or some other exit, doesn't matter. Look at the scenarios where if that doesn't take place, what will you do? And do you have enough money to withstand that? And is there financing in place that will allow that? If not, what would be your plan for acquiring that during the ownership period? So thanks for being on the show, Jack. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a best ever weekend and talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Have a great day. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. If you have a smaller rental portfolio, then here's a no-brainer for you. Hemlane's property management platform automates the entire rental life cycle. With connections to local agents and maintenance coordinators, you are in control and have more free time. Check them out at hemlane.com. That's H-E-M. L-A-N-E dot com.